Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. I don't know if you realize it or not, but we are in the midst of hurricane season. And when you think about hurricanes, before a hurricane comes ashore, wherever it comes ashore, there for weeks leading up to it, meteorologists will be be tracking that that it starts out as a tropical storm and then it'll build in intensity. And they're they're trying to determine where it will make landfall and um, how intense the storm is gonna be. Just recently, um, the the we just had Hurricane Henry come come in and it wasn't too severe of a hurricane as hurricanes go but they're never to be taken lightly and every time it seems like that there's a hurricane there's always uh, some people who attempt to ride out the storm they're, they don't take the warning signs seriously at all uh, they they blatantly, even when it's a really bad storm, they they will blatantly just disregard all of the warnings and they refuse to make all of the the proper preparations. And and as a result, for a lot of these people, it has cost them their lives. Now, today I want to tell you about a storm that is far greater than anything that the world has ever experienced. I don't know when it will make landfall, but I do know that it is going to be the most intense storm that has ever befallen the earth. And this is going to be a storm that will be worldwide. The storm that I am referring to is God's wrath. And this is what is going to be known as the tribulation and I want to talk about the tribulation today, not because we want to treat it like some sort of horror movie where we get our, our thrills out of being scared by it, but because as Christians, we need to be aware of what it really entails so that we in love can talk to our loved ones and talk to our friends and help them to understand what is coming down, down the line? You know, there's this kind of macabre um, desire that we get out of, out of seeing tragedy. You know, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet more than one of you has slowed down when you pass a car wreck. You know, you want to you want to kind of see what's going on. And the truth is the only reason people watch NASCAR is for the wrecks. I, you know, honestly, we, it's just the way it is. We we have this this fascination with disasters. We don't want to approach this with that type of, of fascination. We want to understand the tribulation so that we can intelligently help people to understand what's coming and that, that they need to 
be aware and that they need to, to be right with God. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 13 today. And this is um, the sermon that Jesus gave from the Mount of Olives. His, his disciples were asking him about the end times. And Jesus gave them what in fancy terms is known as the Olivet Discourse. Um, the, again, that's just the fancy way of saying Jesus sat down on the Mount of Olives and he talked about the end times. Now, the full message is found in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 37. There are parallel accounts in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and also in Luke chapter 21. Also, if you want to read about the tribulation and understand it, um, Revelation chapter 6 all the way up through Revelation chapter 18 is a detailed description. But for our text today, we're just going to be looking at the second half of the, the Olivet Discourse. Mark, Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 14, says, The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women or for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah or there he is. Don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this uh, ahead of time. During the tribulation, the entire world is going to experience the full impact of God's wrath. And this passage that we're looking at here in Mark is actually describing the second half, the, the start of the second half of the tribulation. And this is a, a period of time which is known as the Great Tribulation. This is when the Antichrist has set up his rule in Jerusalem and <clears throat> he does so in the middle of the tribulation period. Now, I want to kind of speak to <clears throat> not a disclaimer so much as I just want to say that there is room for interpretation. There are a lot of good people who love Jesus Christ who do see the end times differently. And so what I am giving you today is what is generally considered orthodox 
Protestant theology. It is, um, it, it's, it's the, the standard understanding of how the end times are going to occur. But it's possible to be wrong. And so I say that just so that we don't get too dogmatic about this is how it has to be. Because God is God and we're not telling God how it has to be. This is the best understanding. Now, um, I, I use, for example, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ. They thought they understood how things were supposed to be. And when Jesus came along, they completely missed him. We don't want to be that way. We want to make sure that we are being faithful and obedient to Christ to the best of our ability. And that way, if things happen in a way that we hadn't figured out and said, this is how it has to be, then we're able to, to understand and, and recognize it. But over and over in here, Jesus keeps saying, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Pay attention. And that's, that's what we need to do here. We need to make sure that we keep our eyes on Christ and we are obedient and faithful to him. Now, as I understand this and as I believe, what's going to happen is the rapture is going to occur. The rapture can happen any day. Um, there is nothing keeping God back other than when he has chosen is the time to come. When the rapture occurs, that is going to begin the tribulation period. The reason that's going to begin the tribulation period is because when the church is raptured out, all of a sudden you have millions of people who just vanish and that is going to cause worldwide chaos, worldwide um, panic. The, the world is going to, to not know how to respond. It's going to cause economic issues because you're going to have lost the, a good portion of the workforce. There, there's going to be all kinds of upheaval, all kinds of, of panic happening. And this is going to be a very desperate time. You can imagine if you're an unsaved person and all of a sudden, maybe your entire household just disappears. What, what do you do? How do you respond to that? Well, in this time, evil is going to, to increase. Because when the church is raptured out, then the, the, presence of the Holy Spirit is going to be withdrawn to, to a great extent. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, but it will remain secret until the one, that being God, who is holding it back, steps out of the way. Out of the chaos that is incurred, a world leader is going to rise to the occasion. He's going to have answers to a lot of the problems. Most notably, he's going to seem to have a solution for bringing peace 
in the Middle East, between Israel and all of those Muslim nations that are surrounding Israel. And at this point, the world is just going to be kind of bumping along. It, uh, the mystery of the rapture will have been explained away in some form or another. You know, it, it may be that the, the word is that aliens took people. You know, there, there's going to be some explanation for how millions of people vanished. There are going to be global problems, but there's going to be a sense of optimism because because this world leader seems to have some, some really good ideas and people are going to be gravitating to this world leader. Now, halfway through the tribulation period, when this world leader has secured his power, he's going to set himself up as Lord of the world. He's going to, to set himself down in the temple and declare himself God. And this is when things are really going to, to begin to, to happen. This is what Jesus is speaking about in, in verse 14, where he says, The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. This is known as the, uh, the abomination of desolation. And Daniel spoke about a, an abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11, and chapter 12. Paul talks about this event. In 2 Thessalonians, beginning with verse 3, he says, Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. John also talks about this event in Revelation 13. Beginning with verse 4, he says, They worship the dragon, that's Satan, forgiving the beast, that's the Antichrist, such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaim? Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belonged to this world worshipped the beast." They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, the word abomination is obviously a very negative word. It means foul, detestable, immoral, blasphemous, uh, reviling, abhorrent to God. The Bible is full 
of descriptions of what God calls an abomination. Leviticus 18 and 1 Kings 14 says that homosexuality and bestiality are abominations. In Deuteronomy 22, the blurring of gender distinction where men dress like women or women pretend to be men. In other words, transgender behavior is considered an abomination to God. 1 Kings 11, idolatry and child sacrifice are considered abominations. Proverbs 11, dishonesty in business. Proverbs 12, lying. Proverbs 15, false or hypocritical worship. Jeremiah 16, the defilement of a nation through its sinful practices. And may I say that because of the direction that we as a nation have chosen to go, that we as a nation, the United States of America, is an abomination before God as we stand here today. There there are several others, but you get the idea. There was a king of the Seleucid Empire, a a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. You know, if my mom had named me Antiochus Epiphanes, I might have become a bad guy too. Um, During during the period that he was in rule, this was between 175 and 165 BC, um, he ruled over Israel. And he was the guy who Daniel prophesied would be the abomination of desolation because he did things like sacrificed a pig on the altar there of the temple in in Jerusalem. He also put an idol of Zeus up in the temple. He was guilty of the abomination of desolation. But He had been dead many hundreds of years before Jesus spoke about this abomination of desolation. So what Jesus is doing is warning us that there was going to be another who would come and who would commit this abomination um, in the final days. The world is going to embrace this man who seems to have all the answers and not everyone is going to follow him. Uh, you know, that, that needs to be clear. But the countries and the, the groups that don't follow him, he's going to have the ability to crush them. And so he is going to practice deception. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. And this individual is Satan's Messiah. And so that is why he is called the Antichrist, the opposite of Christ. And one of the goals of Satan, and and therefore one of the goals of the Antichrist, is that he wants to desecrate anything that is intended for God, including the temple. He wants to defile any place that is a place of worship. And that's why Jesus says that he would literally stand in a place where he should not be. And the Bible speaks very clearly about the actions of this guy. And and do for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of hit on these things. He's going to 
a throne and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. He's going to pretend to be a peacemaker, but then he's going to turn against Israel. He's going to pour out vengeance on the Jews for three and a half years. This is all found in Revelation chapter 11 and 12. He's going to make war on believers, Revelation 13. He's going to blaspheme God, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13. He's going to deceive with miracles and signs and wonders, 2 Thessalonians 2. He's going to use deception to work all kinds of miracles and healings. And as a result, again, most of the world is going to follow him, Revelation 13 and 2 Thessalonians 2. The Antichrist is going to be a dynamic person. He is going to be a wonderful, attractive person who people are going to naturally be drawn to. And he's going to do this because he is filled with satanic power. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. Now notice back in Mark 13, Jesus says, Reader, pay attention. Isn't that interesting, the foresight that Jesus showed? Jesus is sitting out on a, a rock on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples, but he inserts, reader, pay attention. He understood that what he had to say was going to be written down, and he, he's speaking to you and I when he says, reader, pay attention. He's saying, understand the severity of what I'm talking about here. Now, once the Antichrist reveals his true intentions halfway through the, the tribulation, there is going to be panic, especially among the Jews, because up till this point, the Jews have embraced this guy. He's, he's rebuilt the temple. He's made peace with their enemies. They are just like, oh, you're awesome. We're so happy that you're, you're the guy. And then all of a sudden he turns on them. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Mark 13, beginning with verse 14. He says, those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on a deck must, um, or, or the roof must not go down into the house. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. What he's saying is that there is... When when all of a sudden this Antichrist reveals him true, his true self, there's going to be panic globally, but especially initially right there in Jerusalem. The word flee has this connotation that if you woke up in the middle of the night and you realized your house was engulfed in fire, you wouldn't be going, well, let me see. I guess I need to get a, a suitcase out and I need to make a list of the thing. No, you're just like, I got to get out now. And that's what's going to happen.
Zechariah prophesied about this in Zechariah 13. He says, two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord. But one-third will be left in the land. I will bring that group through the fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver and purify them like gold. They will call my name and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. So only out of, uh, out of the, the people living there in, in Jerusalem and, and Israel, only about a third of them are going to survive. What we need to understand is that what the, the Antichrist does to the Jews at this point is going to be far worse than the Holocaust ever was. Now, Jesus says it this way, there will be greater anguish for those uh, um, in those days than at any time since God created the world. It will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. Now, at no point in history, even during the time of the flood, Will there be such devastation like is going to happen during this time frame? And it's all going to take place in about a three and a half year time frame. God is going to pour out his judgment. And these judgments take place again. If you're wanting to read about this, Revelation chapter 6 up through Revelation chapter 16. And this is what is known as the great tribulation. Here's just a list of, of some of the, the judgments that God is going to pour out. An earthquake is going to devastate the earth, Revelation 6. Hail and fire are going to consume a third of the earth's vegetation, Revelation 8. A third of the oceans are going to be turned to blood, Revelation 8. A third of the fresh water is going to be poisoned, Revelation 8. A third of the sun, the moon, the stars are going to be darkened. Um, Revelation 8 also. Countless demons are going to be released to terrorize humanity. Revelation 9. A third of the earth's population is going to die. Revelation 9. An earthquake in Jerusalem is going to kill 7,000 people in one day. Revelation 11, incurable sores are going to affect the world. Revelation 16, the entire sea is going to turn to blood and all creatures are going to die. Revelation 16, rivers are going to turn to blood. Revelation 16, the earth will experience extreme heat. Revelation 16, or is that August 29th. Um, great darkness will engulf the world, Revelation 16. The Euphrates River is going to dry up, Revelation 16. There's going to be another global earthquake that's going to change the topography of the earth. And 100-pound hailstones are going to fall, also found in Revelation 16. This cataclysmic events are, are going to be so ca catastrophic that, that people just are, are dumbfounded by it. 
But here's the crazy thing. People are going to know that God is, is bringing this judgment. And instead of repenting, instead of confessing their sins, rather than begging for forgiveness from God, they are going to shake their fist at God and curse him. That's going to be the response globally of people when they find out, you know, when all of these things happen, rather than turn from their sinfulness, they're going to hate God all the more. Why? Why, why does that happen? Well, 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning with verse 10, tells us, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. We see that already happening. People don't want truth. They want to be told what, they, what tickles their ears. They want to be told what they want rather than be told the truth. So we already see this happening, but it will be happening even in greater, uh, to a greater extent. Now, verse 11, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. That's again, true right now today. People will say, I, you know, I want to be free to do whatever I want. I want, you know, and by their actions, they want to pursue sin. They want to pursue evil. They don't want to do what's right. And so God says, if that's the way you want to go, I'm going to let you go there and I'm going to help you get there. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, there's this common theme that, that Jesus brings up over and over again. Take heed, pay attention, don't be deceived. And this is what we need to understand. Now, as followers of Christ, we're not going to be deceived. Notice it says, but for the sake of the chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah or there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders. If possible, even God's chosen ones would be deceived. Now, Maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I thought all of the Christians got raptured at the start. Who, who are all of these chosen ones that, that could be deceived? Where did they come from? Well, after the rapture, there are still going to be people who are born again, who are, are saved. Where do they come from? Well, remember I read from Hezekiah earlier that two-thirds of the Jews were going to be wiped out. But a third of them are going to look to God and say, God, you are our God. And he's going to say, you are my people. Out of that third, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish evangelists, if you will. I, I call them Jewish Billy Grahams, because these are going to be 
people that are highly anointed of God, they're going to be spirit filled on fire for God. And they're going to begin preaching with power, with dynamic power, and people are going to get saved. Also, there are two powerful witnesses. They're going to be on display for the whole world. They're going to be preaching Christ and they're, they're going to be prophets. And so they're going to also be preaching against the world system and the world leader. And many people believe that these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses, who God brings back down. If you want to read about them, they can, you can find out about them in Revelation chapter 11. But between these 144,000 evangelists and between these two witnesses and between other people that have become followers of Christ, there are going to be Christians that are having to go through all of this and they're going to be hunted down and killed and martyred by the Antichrist. But notice that it says, Jesus says, if it were possible, even the elect might be led astray. What this tells us, and this is important, is that even though there is this relentless onslaught to kill and destroy these people, God's Holy Spirit holds people firmly John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life. They will never and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. You cannot lose your salvation if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if someone walks away, what that means is they were never saved to begin with. They went through the motions. They kind of looked like it, but they were not saved. If someone leaves the faith, that's what happened. They didn't lose their salvation. And so what, what we're being told here is that even though the, the, ter the times are, are horrible, Christians are going to stay firm to the end, even if it kills them, and it will. Now, at this crucial moment, this is the, the humanity is on the verge of extinction. This is when Jesus returns. This is the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19 is where we read about that. And this is the marking of the end of the tribulation period. Now, when we hear about these sort of events, and when you hear preachers preach on these sort of things, there's a tendency to be afraid to go, oh my, oh, this is terrible, oh, this is dreadful. No, don't don't look at it from that standpoint. God is in control and God will guide us whether we have been raptured or whether we are here on the earth. God is in control. And it doesn't matter whether you, you know, it doesn't matter. Our job is to be obedient to the calling of Jesus Christ, to be faithful 
to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God will guide us. And if we get martyred and die, okay. You know, I, I mean, I say that real easy because, hey, I'm in an air-conditioned building and life is good. But the reality is, is God will always be in control. Let's take the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who look forward to his appearing. That's our job. Be faithful. Be obedient. Make people aware of what's waiting if they don't turn from their sinfulness. Our job is not to coerce people or beat people down and, and condemn people. Our job is to love them and show them the grace that God is extending to them. And then let God deal with it. That's, that's all we have to worry about. And if God brings us out and raptures us before the tribulation, fantastic. That's what I believe is going to happen. And that's certainly what I hope happens. But if the day comes where God doesn't, and we are, as, as the body of Christ, are required to go through the tribulation, okay. That's God's plan, and it's a perfect plan. Most of all, let's make sure people understand Jesus died on the cross for sinners of which each of us are. He loves us and he wants to give us a better life, a life filled with his presence. That's what we need to be communicating to people. Let's pray. Jesus, we so, so desperately need more of you in each of our lives. We need to be a reflection of you. And Father, I know that as it, it, when we are a genuine reflection of you, there will be some who are drawn to us, but there will also be people who are condemned. And as a result, they will hate us. Please, Father, help us to be faithful to you, no matter the response. Help us to be the kind of people that you have called us to be, a light in the darkness. And Father, I thank you for loving us so much that you have given us the plan. You've told us how things are going to happen. And you've just told us, be ready, be prepared. Help us, Father, to be just that, ready and prepared. And Father, my prayer now is for each person in this room. If they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, please, Father, impress upon them the need for that. Impress upon them the need to walk with you, to surrender themselves to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.